I want you to go in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 10. I'm so excited for the Word, and yet I don't even know how really it's all going to come out. I've got a lot of Scripture wrote down so that I, in case I can't quote it, I can, I, I can share it with you. But I want to talk to you this morning about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Matter of fact, I don't believe it's just a message, but church, I want you to hear me. I believe it's an instruction for the day that we're in. That we are, God is giving us instructions of how to get this harvest in. Think about this for a moment. If this war going on over across the ocean, uh, who are they? Who's fighting? My mind is blank. Russia and the Ukrainians. There we go. Thank you. If the war that's going on in Ukraine right now, and then I saw a Facebook post that popped up that said, you, you know, the Korean guys launching a few missiles up towards Japan. If, if things like that are going on, and if all the Bible prophets are what they're speaking, that we that this is all culminating to bring us to the end times, that it is the most exciting time to be on the planet. Because we're going to see Jesus like we have never, ever seen Him before. Now, if you want to turn on CNN and CBS and all those favorite places you like to watch and keep yourself filled with the rockets and bombs and all the destruction, go ahead, that's fine. But I want to keep my eye right now upon what Jesus is going to do in the earth because I know what the Bible said in 1 Peter. He's not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance come on that everybody so you know what's going to happen we're in the greatest revival the greatest move of God that the earth has ever seen and God is allowing you and I to be a part of it now that's what's happening really in the book of Acts chapter 10 I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but let me set a setting for you. In the verse 1, you can follow along. I would encourage you to go and read this chapter. I put so many marks that I saw of things in this chapter that I hadn't seen before when God began to speak it to me. There was a certain man. I will just start with the first verse. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian band or the Italian regiment. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Now, just so that you know, this is a Gentile man. He's not a Jew. He's not a covenant partner. He's not a covenant in covenant with with God in the sense that the Jews would see it. But yet in that time, there were a very few Gentiles that believed in God and believed in the God of the Hebrews. That's one of the places when God said, when He drove out the temple, the people in the temple, He said, you've made my house a den of thieves. And what He was saying was there was a place in the temple, a room, where the Gentiles could come and worship. But the Jews and all of their ritualism and all the things that they had done, they had blocked the way for people to come to God. So here's this man, devoted to the Lord. 
He's under Roman rule. He's a Roman leader. No doubt had possibly, I read, up to even possibly a few hundred men that served under him as a Roman soldier under that regime. He's in a place called Caesarea, not Caesarea Philippi. This would be another seat of Roman authority, of Roman government, but it was also the place where Pilate was seated or where Pilate dwelled. And so here he's crying out to God. He's praying. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he's praying about. He's just praying. God, I believe he was asking God, I want to know you more. Because I'll show you why as we read through, as we go through the book. And not only was he praying, but he was giving alms. And the Bible said about the ninth hour of the day, which would be three o'clock in the afternoon. Because the Hebrews would see the day from sunup to sundown. From six in the morning to possibly six in the evening. And it was about the ninth hour of the day that an angel came to him. And when he showed up, he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before God as a memorial. Now I want you to send men to Joppa. Send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner by the sea, and he's going to tell you what you must do. And the angel immediately departed. And Cornelius called a couple of his household servants and a devout soldier and from, from among them who waited on him continually. And he told them what they must do. And he sent them their way. So while God is dealing with this man over here, God is working on somebody over here. And the word said that the next day, as they went on their journey, Peter was up on the housetop. Now I believe Peter was by the sea because the sea represents the harvest. Peter was by the sea. He was a fisherman. You remember what God said to him when he called him. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I just got to walk through this story, so hang on. It'll get better. I might even send myself an offering after this, all right? That's what I believe it's going to turn out to be. So just walk with me. So Peter's biases on the rooftop. And notice what the word said. It was about the sixth hour of the day. It's noontime now. And that was the time, I'll touch that later. And all of a sudden, he becomes hungry and he wants to eat because it's lunch. And at that moment, he falls into a trance. He falls into something he had never been under. The power of God has overtaken him. And he sees falling from the heaven or something descending from the heaven as it is a sheet that has been bound to the corners and in it has laid all four-footed animals and such as that. The Bible said it began to descend and rest upon the earth. He saw, I, I saw the heaven open and I saw this sheet, this sheet descending and all the four-footed beasts, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And he said, I heard a voice speak to me. Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the word common there would mean that which is defiled. And the word unclean means that which would be offered to idols. He said, I have never, ever eaten anything like that. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must now call clean. You must not call it common. And notice what happened. Never seen this before. This didn't happen one time. This was repeated three different times in that trance. Now when God is repeating something like that, He got the message from the first time. But God was establishing something new in the earth. A new era was breaking open in the church. Look at your neighbor and say, a new era is breaking open. Three times it happened. Peter would have understood that this way. That out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every truth be established. So three times God was establishing, I'm doing something new. And what you have considered defiled and unclean at this moment will no longer in my eyes be seen that way. Rise up and partake of it. Rise up and be a part of it, Peter. Then the Bible said in verse 17 that while he wondered within himself what the vision, what he had seen, behold, the men showed up and said, hey, this happened. Our master has need of you. He said, come inquire of you. And they called and said and asked whether Simon was here. And while Peter thought on the vision, the spirit spoke to him, behold, three men are seeking you now. Could have been three again to coincide with the three times that God lowered the sheet from the heaven to the earth. And then I want you to see verse 20. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So they get to, they get to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius said, yes, I'm him who you've asked for or who you seek. For this reason, I have you come. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and is a good reputation in the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the angel to summon you. Then he invited them. It's the, it's the servant speaking, say, come. And verse 24, and the following day they entered Caesarea. A couple days are passing now. And Cornelius was waiting for them. Notice this, verse 24. Cornelius was waiting for them with his relatives and his close friends. And Peter came in. And Cornelius met him and fell down to worship. And Peter said, get up, I'm just a man. Get up. And then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is. For, me, for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to another of another nation. But God has shown me that I shall not call you, should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as I soon and I was sent for. I asked him for what reason you've sent me. And Cornelius said four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in, in, and in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered. And he said, sin for this man in Joppa. Let me declare to you what the ninth hour, because it might help you understand something. 
He's praying it was the ninth hour when Jesus died upon the cross. It was the ninth hour when all of a sudden the heavens grew dark. It was the ninth hour when Jesus cried out and said, It is finished. And He gave up the ghost. It was the ninth hour that the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It was the ninth hour that God started something new. That now all men could come boldly into the presence of God. The veil had been rent and everybody had come through. God was speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile that didn't have what what Peter had that didn't have the opportunity to come into the presence of God but God said I'm making a way that all men of every color of every nationality of every race of every creed can now boldly come into my presence God was making a way something new was on the scene something new was on the scene and then Peter opened his mouth and this is where I really want to get to and then Peter opened his mouth and said, A truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Church, we need to hear this. We as Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, Christians, believers, whatever you call yourself, I want you to listen to Peter's message. We, we, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, who every, whoever fears Him, and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Let me define that real quick, what that means. Whoever fears Him and works righteousness. You and I, He's not talking about being afraid. Whoever gives Him honor that He is Savior and believes on Him, the Bible said that man, it has been accounted to him as righteousness. Not saved by what I take on, what I take off. Not saved by the church I'm in. Not saved by the tag. Not saved by this and that. But by one thing, I give honor to Jesus Christ that He's the Son of God. That He came to earth, He died and rose again. And I believe that He paid the price. So that's what Peter is saying. The word which God sent to the children of Israel... Preaching peace through Jesus Christ. God is not our enemy any longer. He has never been our enemy. God is not your enemy. God is working for you, not against you. Even in a world that seemingly has gone mad and lost its way towards God, would think if God is so good, then why are these things happening? Honey, I got news for you. God isn't against you. God is for us. God isn't working to put you under. He's working to get you up. God isn't trying to hold you out. God's trying to get you in. God's not trying to take away from you he's trying to give you life and life more abundantly God's working for you I have peace with God based upon one fact Jesus opened up the way not by works of man not by works of religion I'm here to tell you this morning if you have need of something from God God wants you to have it more than you want it. 
If you need healing, God wants you well more than you want to be well. If you need provision, listen, God never intended for one person to walk in poverty. Never. That's not His plan. That's not His will. But pastor, you don't know what I did. I had to tell a brother the other day because I was questioning God about something recently. You know, because one of the great things of how the enemy works, i got to get to the goodness, I ain't even there yet. Listen, one of the great ways the enemy works is this. He'll remind you of your past to keep you from what God has for you in the present. So I asked the Lord some time ago, I was praying about something. I said, God, would there ever been a mistake in my past that would ever disqualify me from having everything that you intended for me in my future before I ever got here? And I have felt really, and I believe that the Lord spoke to me, no. If I had blown it, if I had sinned, if I had made a mistake, if I had done the wrong thing, if I truly, sincerely came before Him and said, God, I repent, then what does God do with that? He takes it and removes it. And it's no longer anywhere around. The Bible said in John 1.9, I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but you better hear me. John 1.9 says this, If we sin, if we'll confess that sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Miss Denise Hacker, here's the deal. When the enemy comes to you and starts talking about your failure, you got to scratch your head and say, I don't have a clue of what you're talking about. Because the blood has already removed it from me. Some of you need to get free of your past. You got forgiven, but you're still hanging on to the residue of yesterday. I believe that's when God raised Lazarus from the dead. He was alive, but still wrapped up. And some of you are alive on the inside, but you're hopping around like a bunny, like a bunny rabbit, because you still got the grave clothes of yesterday. And as long as you got the grave clothes on, you're going to smell the stench of yesterday. Come on, somebody. Hello? That's why he said you need to get that off of you. Let him go. Get it off of him and let him go. And then go burn the clothes. Do you ever think about the temple? I heard this the other day. It's not mine, but I thought, man, that's good. I'll preach that someday, so I'll just might as well do it today. <laughs> you know, you went from the outer court of the tabernacle where death was. You got to understand, that was a smelly, nasty, stinking place. But when you went into that inner court, you no longer smelt the death of what was on the outside. But now you smell the fragrance of the anointing oil and the lamps that are burning on the inside. Because if you don't smell the fragrance of the good, you will never come around the things of God because you'll keep being reminded of death. Hello? Let me get back here. He said, that word which you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing and healing. Is that what it says? 
Let's read that together. Is that up on the screen? Let's read it from the start. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Hello. The goodness of God. See, we're going to have to talk about what the goodness of God is or you're going to miss it. Good can mean anything. You know, Miss What's-Her-Name back there talked about eating Italian food and Mexican food. Before COVID, she loved it. When COVID hit her, she couldn't eat it no more. I don't know if her taste buds went away. But then I do know this, that when you taste and say something good, what are you comparing it to? If you've never had it before, how do you know it's good? It's like the woman back in my church in Paducah. She was a handicapped lady in a wheelchair, invited me to lunch. So I took one of my, el- my leaders with me, my prayer partner at that time, because I wasn't going to go visit her house by myself. She said, I want to fix lunch for you. I get there. She has Chinese food. And I mean, y'all know how I am. I cannot stand bell peppers. They're demons. So if you're cooking for me, hint, don't put them in it. I mean, it's like kryptonite to Superman. It's terrible. And I'm looking at this casserole that she lays in front of me. And it's got more peppers than it does anything else. I'm thinking, Jesus, what am I going to do? Well, I pressed my way through. My buddy was sitting next to me. I shoved stuff to his, t- to his plate. Mel, eat. And I'd get a bite and do a lot of drinking. And finally, I just couldn't do it no more. And I said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I cannot handle bell peppers. They'll put me on the floor. I cannot deal with them. I'm sorry. And then she says this to me. She says, well, I'm sorry too. She says, I have no taste bud. So therefore, I don't know if this stuff is good or not. And the dog won't even touch it. And and you just fed that to me? See, it's all dependent on how we're going to define what good is. See, if I go to the taco shop, I could say it's good. But if I compare it to what I've had from some in this house, I could say, ah, that's not really good. If y'all getting a hint, I got to drop it once in a while. You know how it is, Pastor. See, good can mean many things. Good, I just wrote a few things down. Good can mean approval. In other words, oh, that's good. Good can mean better than average. Oh, he's a good worker or he's a good student. Good can mean something offered favorable results. Man, that was a good meeting. Good can mean effective or sufficient. You know what? Good thing I had a four-wheel drive car the other day. It got me around through the slush and through the snow and such as that. It can mean something agreeable or enjoyable. Man, in a few hours, life is good. It doesn't matter if it's warm. Life's going to be good. I can tell you right now. It can mean adequate or sufficient. In other words, like I said a while ago, those tacos really hit the spot. 
It can mean that which is is morally sound or excellent or virtuous, kind, generous, sympathetic. Oh, he's a good man. She's a good person. See, it can mean all of that. But when God says that he's demonstrating his goodness, I can't compare it to that. So i got to look at three aspects of God's goodness to tell you what it's all about. The first one is found in the book of creation in Genesis. And I'm not going to read through all of that. But you know, in the beginning, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. First day, God said, let there be light. And light came. And the evening and the morning were the first day. That's how it ends. Second day, God comes along and He divides the, the, the firmament. He divides the waters from the waters. And He establishes the heavens. And the Bible said, and this is the second day. And the evening and the morning are the second day. Then on the third day, God deals now with the earth. And God begins to call the earth into place. And He puts everything in its place. And this is how God ends the note on the third day. And God saw it. And said it was good. Now wait a minute. How did God compare this ball that we call earth as good? What was he comparing to? What was he saying about it? The only thing that God could compare it to. God was comparing it to himself. And so God was saying as he looked at the earth that he had just made. God said this is so me. This is so much me. Matter of fact, next, the next few days, the next four days, why he would end it. He would always end it like this. It was, and the Lord saw it, and God saw it, and it was good. That word good there simply, I believe, means this. That it was, that it was, fit, that it was functioning, it was set and functioning as God intended for it to be. There was not a flaw in the earth. It was all created perfect. It was functioning and positioned as God intended to be. At the end of the sixth day, God changes the word a little bit. He just created man. And He brought a woman, made her the cherry on the cake for the man. And at the end of that day, this is what the Lord said. And God saw it. And it was very good. Miss Amanda, He said it was I believe God stepped back because God was done. I wish I could dance. I believe God was dancing all over heaven because His delight of what He was looking for has now come into fruition. Everything was in its place. It's functioning. And God is delighting in His creation. See, you know what that tells me about you? You didn't look like me. And I didn't look like you. And we could both say we're so thankful. (laughs) Hello. But every one of you causes God to dance. Because he delighted in what he created. 
You may be a product of mom and dad, but you're the increase of God. That God took that egg, He took that seed, and He took that egg, and He put them together. And God brought a you so uniquely. And God stepped back in only the way that God could do. And God said, man, look at what I've done. He is just the way I want Him to be. See, most of us can't give the goodness of God because we don't understand the goodness of God. That's the first aspect of it. It's related to God. See, it's of God's nature. And the Word declares to us that God is good. Psalms 52.9 says, I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will call upon your name for it is good. His name, which speaks of His character, which speaks of His nature. It speaks of the essence of who He is. Psalms 119 verse 68 says, You are good and do good. So the only thing that God can do is good. Well, pastor, well, if it's so good, then why have all these bad things happened to me? Well, we're in a fallen world. But Paul also said in Romans that we know that all things work together for good. I I was glad. I heard this. This isn't mine. But the brother that I heard preaching before church used this. I thought, hey, that's right. We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Friend, if you're going to live like hell and live like the world, it doesn't mean that all things are going to work together for your good. They probably won't be good. But for those who love God, God takes bad things and He somehow, through the way that only God can do it, He makes things good. Are we okay? You got to see the nature of God, that God is good and He's working for you. I got to land this jet quickly. Here's the second thing you need to understand about the goodness of God. I'm looking for the glory. I'm looking for the glory, but the goodness of God and His glory are tied together, they're inseparable. Let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Moses has just brought the children of Israel to Sinai. God has given them the the Ten Commandments. And while they're up on the mountain, Israel is plain down below. And and God, the people have built this golden calf. And you know the story from there. And then Moses is still on the mountain and God speaks to him. and says, depart, go up from here. You and this people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land that I'm going to show you. I'm not going to read all of those verses, but in verse 5, the Lord speaks to Moses. And he said, I want you to tell these jokers something. They are stiff-necked. They're hard-headed and determined they're going to do what they want to do. And God said, even there, God said, get these people up and get them to where I want them to go. And in Moses begins to deal with God and he pitches a tent and the presence of God came and rested above the tent where Moses was and all the people are watching Moses. And Moses said to the Lord, you said to me, you want me to bring up this people? You see what they just done for you and you're asking me to get them in? You haven't even told me who's gone before me, who's going with me. 
Now, therefore, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know that you have sent me and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation, notice what Moses does. He turns it around and said, these are your people. You know, like, that's your kid, not mine. Hello. He turns it back to God. And he said, Lord... And God speaks to him and said, my presence will go with you, and I'm going to give you rest. And then he said to him, Moses speaking back to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring any of us up here. If your presence isn't going to get us there, we don't want to go. I'm not going to go. And then Moses asked a request. Verse 18, Lord, please show me your glory. And notice what God does. Verse 19. I will make all of my goodness pass before you. So if you want the glory, start looking for the goodness. If you want the goodness, start looking for the glory. They go hand in hand. He said, I will call all of my goodness to pass before you. So what is his goodness here? It's found in chapter 34 and verse 6 and 7. And it said, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sins, by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. He said, this is my goodness. It's my mercy. It's my long-suffering. Church, why are you saying that? I believe we as the church, if we're going to reach this harvest, we're going to go through the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2, 4 says this. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Not you and I getting in their face and telling them how bad and how wicked and how perverse and how this and that. You mean, Pastor, we don't preach about sin? I didn't say that. It's a matter of how we judge them. We come and we love them. We see them, that they're children of God, that they are born of His hand, created by His ability and power. God is long-suffering. And I got to put up with that joker. We may have to put up with some things, put up with some people. We may have to deal. I've, had, I've heard people say, Pastor, how many times I get so tired of seeing the same person go to the altar over and over and over? Well, thank God you got free and you don't need it. And that person may have to do it every day the rest of their life. But they may, they may have been here a hundred times. But the hundredth and one time they come, Pastor, bam, they get what they're looking for. And they're radically changed. This is where we as the church demonstrate the goodness of God. We're long-suffering. We're merciful. I don't have a lot of patience. That's why the Bible said, and the Lord anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. This is where you got to get dependent on the Holy Spirit because He's got the patience. The Holy Spirit has the mercy. The Holy Spirit has the time. You may not. So you're going to see, are you leaning on your own self? Are you leaning on Him? 
It's functioning. God's goodness is everything functioning. Remember, Jesus went about healing and setting free all that were oppressed of the devil. He's making a statement through that statement. Because back in Matthew, some of them said, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus said, I don't cast any devil out with another devil. I'm not going to get you free casting you out that way. That joker wants to tie you up. The word oppressor means to be under dominion of demons. So he come to set those who are under dominion of demons, he come to set them free. We saw a lady last week in the meeting. A drug addict. She'd been on meth, been coming up for several days. I, I forget how many days. She came, they prayed for her. Man, that demon started acting up immediately. Did she get totally free? I tell you, I don't know if she got totally free. But I'm telling you, she was a lot freer than when she walked up there. She had been abused, no doubt. She told her story. Some of them told the story of this lady. She was abused when she was a child. She had been in prison. She married a woman. <coughs> she no doubt had been molested, prostituted. Who knows what all that this young lady was gone through. And she looked ragged. But I'm telling you, a few minutes in the presence of God that night, I noticed she come in with a different countenance upon her face. Jesus is well able. See, that's what the de- Jesus is wanting us to see. Sickness, disease, and all this stuff is not God putting it on you. He never intended for you to be sick. Never. Well, why aren't we healed? I don't know. I just know that unwavering belief that Jesus took stripes for my healing. And I'm going to keep believing. Charlie, don't quit. Pastor, don't quit. You're battling this morning and you don't get the full manifest. Just keep believing. It's the will of God. Talk Jesus. Talk. I'm healed. I'm healed. It's the goodness of God. Here's the third thing and I'm done. Come to to the keyboard and we're going to minister to you. That will allow us to minister to you this morning. Here's the third aspect of God. It's His glory. It's connected to His glory. His function, His glory. And the third thing it is of His goodness is nothing but His mercy. That's absolutely all that it is, is God's mercy towards a broken, fallen creation. David said this when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. In 1 Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. You know what he was saying? David said in one of those prayers, he said, God, who am I? Who am I? Moses said the very same thing. Who am I? Many of you, no doubt, you may not say it with your mouth. You say it, you say it within. Who am I that I should be worthy of anything that God has? After how I've lived, after what I've done, after the things that I've got myself into, who am I? But David understood, Lord, the only reason I'm here is because of your great mercy. 
your unfailing love that looks past my faults and you see my need. My brother used to sing a song years ago. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my need. That's his mercy. His goodness shown to us when Israel, when all the hosts of the Assyrians were coming against Israel in 2 Chronicles 20. You know the story well. They sent the choir, the singers out in front of the army. And here's their words. For the Lord is good and His mercy. Because Israel had seen the mercy of God over and over and over again. You know what? There wasn't a one of us deserving. There's some wonderful people in this place. All of you are. But there's not a one of us that were really worthy of God giving it all. You know, this afternoon, me and Diane are leaving and we're heading to Florida for a few days. And my other kid, who wanted to go? Somebody back there? My, my son, Chad, and Alexis, and of course, Maverick is coming. Maverick's going to show up. That's who we're going for. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't think I could give one of my kids up for you. And I'm being real and honest. I don't think. I, I love you, Michelle. You're a good person. But I, I, I don't think I could give Maverick. I don't think I'd give him up. I don't think you would give Mackenzie. Or is it Matt? Maitland. Or any of those other beautiful. I don't think the rest of you would do it either. Sometimes you want to. But for the most part, we never would. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine the Father saying, I'm going to watch him suffer. It'd be one thing, just kill him and get it over with. But to put him through a day and of torment that he went through. To let them beat his face. To mock him and spit upon him. And take their rods and wrap it around his beard. And literally a couple of them would jerk until the hair would be pulled from... I don't know. I, oh, I can't even watch that stuff on TV. And I know it's make-believe. What was it? The movie The Passion that came out... Oh my God. I watched it one time. Somebody bought me the movie and I've never watched it again. I can't watch it. I can't watch that torment. Didn't think. They, they had chained him to a post. Stretched him out and took that whip. and They just kept beating until chunks of flesh and everything was pulled from his body he's already swelled he's, he's so messed up that the scripture says he's unrecognizable and yet the father calmly and quietly out of mercy not for the son but for you and I long suffering not for the son but for you and I Watched as all mankind. That's his flesh. 
That's His flesh. That's His essence. That's His glory. That's everything. And He's watched that for you and I. And it was all about mercy. And you think that you can be good enough to earn the right to be His son outside of that? Because all of that opened up the way. Through His flesh, what what Paul said in Hebrews, through His flesh, He opened up the way for you and I to boldly come and not have to crawl in. But my Bible said, Cameron, the Bible said that I can come before Him. Father, I've got a need. Father, I've got this. And I can come and obtain. Not walk out and say, well, let me see if you qualify. Because the only qualification is that I believe what Jesus did. That's the only qualification. Can I have faith in what Jesus did? I want you to stand with me. I hope this made some sense to you. But the goodness of God is here this morning for you.